Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season, know this. The Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan. It's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off. There's shade, there's food, there's access to adult beverages if so inclined, and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option 1, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. It's your favorite time of the week. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Groundhog Day continues. How are you, Keith? <laughs> is this day 13 or day 14? Yeah. I.e. 13 weeks or 14 weeks. I can't remember. Something like that. Good to see you. Everything all right? Everything is good. Other than, you know, I've been in this holding pattern for a long time, and boy, are my arms tired. But I'm bumped. We will talk with Gary Stoken, who is the president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, in our next segment. I know that if you're listening to this show, you follow sports, and so you're looking at sports pages, or excuse me, you're looking online at various websites, and you've seen that Gary has been making the media circuit. He's spoken with lots of folks, and we appreciate a few minutes of his time. He's in the money-making business, and so he is, uh, we'll, we'll let him articulate, but He's, he's fighting like heck to find a way to play these games. He's hoping that that's where the conferences land. And he's willing, uh, candidly, not to spill the whole story, but he'd play FSU West Virginia about any day between now and Christmas Day if the conferences would say green light. And any time of day and any other facility he had to occupy. Uh, the best phrase that I've heard that uh, I think would describe – what Gary and his staff has been doing is they've got contingencies for their contingencies. Yep. And uh, that, I think that's going to be a COVID-19 term going forward. 20 years ago, when we're still doing this show every hour on Wednesday, uh, you and I will be talking about, you remember when we had to do the contingencies of the contingencies? We won't remember that 20 years from now, Keith. Especially well, that's you. even a better point. That's an even better point. Yeah, especially you. I've still got a chance. I might remember something. <laughs> Thanks so much. I will get back at you at some point. Just wait. Just wait. So Gary Stoken will join us next segment. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider after that. Let's, how about we start with some good news instead of some when is football, woe is me going to be played. Leonard Hamilton just keeps on keeping on, Keith. I mean, it is – I'm trying to think of the right word. He has always – been really good this is the parallel he's like wine he's getting better with age right as he as he ticks up there he doesn't look any older but his program is getting better and better and the foundation and the recruits and everything just tip of the cap to he and his staff 
I, I can't take credit for this thought, and I'm not going to tell you who mentioned it to me because I don't want to implicate them if, if our listeners don't think this is appropriately humorous. But he's the ever-ready bunny that has turned into the roadrunner. That's it. That's it? That's it. That's it. He's – it's amazing. Matt Cleveland, the latest – and I don't know if you followed it. Now, I haven't looked. The NBA draft got pushed back. But the two guys who went early, there's a chance they might both be in the lottery. I mean, when's the last time you thought about FSU basketball putting two guys into the first round, let alone into the lottery? And now that's just what FSU does. Every year they're going to have two, three, four NBA guys on the roster. It appears that way. And don't forget the uh, obligatory one or two or, in some cases, three seven-footers. Well, that's always going to be a case and a recipe with Leonard. No question about that. So, anyway, it, it, it aggravates me still to talk about basketball because, and this is very selfish as we pointed out, couldn't COVID have waited just another three and a half weeks before it shut the world down so Leonard's last team last year could have played that thing out? And at least seen and, and, and had an opportunity to play for it and not have to say, what if, what if, what if, what if. What if, Keith, what if we get to a point where we're talking about not playing basketball on time? I mean, right now we're talking about kicking the football to the spring. Well, basketball practice, I think, starts October 1 or somewhere in there, but the games start mid-November-ish. We're not too far removed from having to have that conversation. Well, yes, you are correct. And um, what little bit of hair I'm able to get a hold of because I cut it so short I will be latched onto, and unfortunately, <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with what you got left. Yeah, which is is not a pretty sight. Which is why we're great at radio. The added wrinkle that, or component that will come with the basketball conversation is that's indoors. So correct. That's not an outdoor sport. That's much akin to sitting in a movie theater or sitting in a restaurant and all the discussion points that go there. Syracuse, not so much because it's inside, but because the governor of New York made this a decree will be playing if if football is played there will be no fans in the carrier dome this year so Syracuse will have empty stadiums if FSU still goes on the road to Syracuse if we play we'll see Clemson today Keith has announced that they are going to start their fall semester this is Clemson University as a whole not just athletics they're going to start online they've delayed four weeks for in-person classes because of the way the numbers are spiking in South Carolina so that's where we are Keith you know, we've talked about this a little bit. There is a, a prevailing thought that, you know, the vast majority of Florida State students will be in Tallahassee come, quote, unquote, the middle of August, whether they're taking classes online, in person, or a combination of the two. Uh, and I think you're going to start seeing some more schools, you know, having to talk about either completely going remote in the fall or go in some form of hybrid, which is another term that's come out. And we won't, we don't need to get into it, but you know, you're, you're a, you're a father. Uh, you've got uh, kids in school. I'm a grandfather. I've got kids in school. And that even further begs the question, what's Leon County schools are going to do. And um, there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. We've, we've belabored that point. No question. Can I throw my theory out there? We'll talk about this with Bob Ferrante, but here's where I think we are. I think that they're going to delay the start of football season a month as a starting point when they make an announcement next week. So there was an ACC president's meeting 
today. Later in the day, Clemson comes out and announces that they're going to delay in-person classes a month. So it would sort of align if that's where the ACC is headed. In other words, Clemson, because of the optics of saying all our students are going to be online, but yet we're going to play football in person, those optics aren't good. You can make the case, and this is uh, certainly just theorizing on my part, my part, that that's where this is headed, and Clemson just fell in line and said, okay, if we're going to delay football four weeks, we don't have to bring people back to class physically for four weeks. What do you think? So what I hear you saying is one plus one equals two. Not a big stretch. No, and, and I, I, want, I want so much to disagree with you. I want so much when it comes out for you to be wrong so I can say I told you so. <laughs> But I can't. I think I'm just with you. Well, hey, I can be. I'm happy to be wrong on this, and that the answer is that uh, this is not an issue, and we're going to play football as scheduled. It just feels like. I mean, more to the point, I don't know if that Clemson theory is correct or not. I think that there's so much at stake from a future of college athletics and college athletic departments. And when I say so much, we're talking about. In the case of FSU, are there going to be any sports besides football, basketball, and baseball? Because if you don't play football this year, I don't know how you're going to fund everything else. And well, we've already and we've already seen that schools have have done away with significant programs, including baseball. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the, so, the college system is not set up like the NFL, the NBA, or the NHL, where they can absorb too much of a negative one year. It will, take, it will take multiple years to rebound from that at the college level. And that's why I don't think that the announcement next week would be, we're going to cancel the season and start again in February. I think it's going to be pushed back some period of time. Doesn't mean we'll definitely start October 1st. Buys us more time. If the numbers don't get better, they push back to October 15th. You go from playing 10 games to eight games. Uh, at some point, you even though you don't want to, you talk about, well, here in the South, we could play in November, December, and January. Doesn't work for the Big Ten, but we could still find a way to get eight or ten games in. I just think they continue to work through all that rather than saying, let's punt right now, and in February, hopefully there'll be a vaccine, and we'll just kick the season off then. The only thing I disagree with you, and this, again, is just a personal opinion, I think there's tremendous legitimacy to say, and we're going to start the season on time. We're going to play an eight plus two schedule, eight conference game, two non-conference games. That will allow the preseason games to be played. That will allow the, the, the rivalry games to be played. But we're going to be flexible on who's in the stands. We may play the first one or two home games with nobody in the stands or 25% in the stands. And then we'll play the third game with 50 and the fourth and fifth game with 75 because then you're into November, you know, late October into November. But more importantly, that's what I hope happens. That's Keith's personal hope. Uh, I don't hold out, repeating myself, don't hold out much hope that I'm correct. But, uh, you know, for me, if I had the, if I was the commissioner, I, I would be pushing – Eight plus two, start on time, have a bye week, play the preseason, play the rivalry games at the end of the year, and let's move on. 
Well, all we can do is throw out theories. We have no idea where it's going to land. In theory, we're a week closer to knowing, maybe. I don't know. How about this? How about we get Gary Stoken on the line next? He'll join us after this, and we'll try to answer some of these questions. Sound like a plan, Keith? I'm going with it. We're just getting started on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back, everybody, to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We're going to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Really pleased to bring Gary Stoke into the program. He is the president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and we've talked with him before at ACC kickoff, see him at many football games, see him when Florida State is in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, normally, I'm sure it's exciting, but maybe not the kind of excitement that you anticipated right now because you're having to run contingencies upon contingencies to see if we're going to play football in Atlanta. So uh, for the sake of our listeners, Gary, we recorded this interview on Tuesday afternoon, but uh, how much has this changed your day to day, just trying to, to figure out the unknown leading up to the season here? Well, first off, Tom and Keith, I hope to see us September 15th in Atlanta. That means we're playing uh, Florida state against West Virginia in the Bobby Bowden bowl. So um, that's the case. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting, you know, keep a perspective. People are losing their lives and losing jobs and losing businesses. And, you know, so we're putting on a college football or three college football games, uh, which my staff told me I was crazy scheduling. And then COVID-19 on top of that, they think I'm even more crazy. But, you know, it's, it's uh, an interesting challenge. We're building different models, doing different scenarios. Uh, various contingencies. We hope to play three games in the Chick-fil-A kickoff games, but if the uh, conference decides to play conference only, then we won't be able to play any games. If they decide conference plus one game, then we'll be able to play two of the Chick-fil-A kickoff games. We'll lose Florida State to play Florida, and we'll lose Georgia to play Georgia Tech in the rivalry games. And um, so we'll match up West Virginia, Virginia in that case, and then also have Auburn and North Carolina the next weekend. So, you know, again, contingencies upon contingencies, and hopefully we'll know something by the end of July what the Big 12 ACC and SEC decide to play. Gary, one of the things that everybody talks about is capacity, and, of course, you're in an indoor stadium, a beautiful indoor stadium, that Florida State was uh, privileged to play in in 17 against Alabama. Who makes that decision? And tell us about the conversations you've had with mayor and or governor, mayor of Atlanta, governor of Georgia. And where's all that? And, and how do you think that, not what the decision will be, but how the conversations have been? Yeah, good question, Keith. Um, certainly we are in contact with Governor Kemp's office and Governor Kemp himself. Um, we're obviously in touch with Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And we've had numerous conversations with all six universities that are playing in the Chick-fil-A kickoff games. So kind of the, the process will be that 
We'll learn from the conferences what kind of schedule they're going to play. Uh, as I said, if they're plus one or plus two, we can play Chick-fil-A kickoff games. Once we know that, we've got a meeting August 4th with uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, who has been going through with the MLS and the NFL since they had the United and the Falcons playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the different protocols of the, those two leagues. The executive order of the governor calls for the facility can open. You can have an event. Uh, you have to follow the, the guidelines of the governing body. So the Falcons have to follow the guidelines of the NFL, the United of the MLS, and in our case, that's the conference offices. The conference offices have passed through those rights to the states of the various institutions in their conferences. So in the case of Florida State, they have to adhere to the uh, social distancing and the guidelines of the state of Florida. Um, so right now, we're looking at six feet social distancing with a 72,000-seat facility. We're probably, uh, and I hedge my bet a little bit because we're working with Ticketmaster on software to allocate, you know, tickets. But we're probably looking somewhere between thirteen and 20,000 people at a max if the capacity is 25%. We've also modeled 30% and 50%. But, you know, that's kind of the process and the timing of what we'll go through. To follow up on that, I know you don't want to think this way, but is there a percentage capacity at which it doesn't make sense to play the game because there's not revenue? I mean, if you dip below 25%, I don't know what the number is. At some point, nobody's making dollars, though, I would think. Yeah, I've been in business 42 years. The only way I know how to run a successful business or budget is, number one, you've got to raise revenue. Two is you've got to cut expenses. And three is you've got to do both. Well, in our scenario, we're already cutting revenue because we're cutting from 100% down to 25%, uh, potentially, or 30 or 50. Uh, because of some of the things we're going to have to do, like uh, not do our VIP receptions, not do our team walk, not do our tailgate down or fan zone. All those things and cutting tickets are going to cut the amount of sponsorship dollars you're going to be able to bring in. This game lives on ticket revenue and sponsorship. We don't receive any of the TV money. That money goes back in the conference packages uh, to the conferences. So, um, again, we're going to add expenses because, to give you an example, we're going to have everybody wear masks, okay? That's increasing expenses. We're cutting revenue because we're going to have less tickets. That's a bad scenario to run a budget. Uh, if we go 0% capacity, we can't put on these games. So the universities at that point are going to have to say, we either go to Florida State or we'll go to West Virginia or we'll cancel the game. Uh, the thing our listeners would pick up on, Gary, in 42 years of business, you never worked for the government. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, uh, let me ask you this, Gary, and this is a wider scope picture, but you're someone who's well qualified to answer this because when you put together these games, you have conversations years in advance, but one-on-one -on -one conversations, not just with conference commissioners, but with, with university athletics directors. And one of the refrains that's been out there in this COVID era, especially when you already see the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have made one decision and the other three Power Five may make another, 
there's been a lot of talk that there needs to be a commissioner for college football, somebody that would provide some uniformity. From where you sit, is that a good idea? Is that viable? Well, I've always believed that uh, I've always believed that you need to have. And if I were Mark Emmert and I was president of the NCAA, that I would have a commissioner of college baseball, college basketball, college football, and women's sports. And and what I would do is I would have the the board be comprised of an athletic director from each conference that was participating. So if you had the power five, you know, and, and you were a czar of the, the ACC, let's say, okay, you would have for baseball an AD from one of those schools that had a baseball background. You would have on your football board an AD from one of those schools that had a football background. Same with baseball and same with basketball, same with women's sports. And so those ADs and that commissioner would create what is in the best interest of that particular sport. And I think through doing that, you would be able to be nimble enough. You would be on top of things where you would be able to adjust and put the best foot forward for that sport. It's very difficult for the commissioners right now, or even Mark Emmert, to be able to see what's in the best interest of baseball, might not be in the best interest of basketball or football. And so there's not a focus on creating a business plan, a business model against that particular sport. And every sport has different nuances. I coached basketball at North Carolina State. You know, I've been in this business for sports business for 42 years. I've seen a lot of different uh, activities, events, um, et cetera. And I just believe you need a focus if you're going to run it like a business, uh, keeping in mind that you still have the compliance issues and everything else, the back office issues that the NCAA provides to, let's say, college football right now. So long-winded answer in saying, you know, I think it would be in the best interest of each sport to have a, uh, a focus, a uh, business plan, a business model run by a commissioner and a board made up of ADs from those particular universities in that conference. Gary, another macro question. Uh, it, it'll be shorter. Um, what do you think the – future of these preseason games are you've you've expanded to three throw out 2020 as an aberration but we've seen schools Florida State in particular scheduling home and home with Alabama what do you think the future of these preseason games are uh, as it relates to either expanding them continuing them or doing them differently yeah certainly we've changed the face of college football at the front side of the season with our kickoff games um you know Three years ago, as you mentioned, Florida State number three, Alabama number one, the greatest opener of all time. Alabama wins the game. Alabama doesn't win the SEC, but gets into the playoff and wins the national championship because they beat Florida State number three. So these these kickoff games are of huge benefit as a data point for the CFP selection committee, number one. Number two, uh, we've been followed by Dallas, Houston, 
Orlando, Charlotte. So a lot of people have followed that. And I think what you're seeing now is a lot of people are ADs are scheduling home and homes for two reasons. Number one, they believe that this contract, 25-26, when the CFP contract ends, that they believe there may be an expansion. And so you could get into uh, an at-large bid if you had losses, maybe a conference loss and a good non-conference loss. And And secondly, to keep their home base season ticket holder, they need to continue to have great games at home because what you're seeing is with the advent of every game being on TV, people can stay home and watch on TV instead of driving from Jacksonville over to Tallahassee to see Florida State play. You know, I don't want to denigrate any schools, but a, but a directional school or a, you know, FCS school or, you know, less than a power five school where they may win big 55, nothing. And you're sitting in a hundred degree temperature and a hundred degree humidity. So I think that's why you're seeing more AD schedule home and home. Having said all that, we have two games in 21, Alabama, Miami, and uh, Louisville, Ole Miss. We have two games in 22, Clemson, Georgia Tech, and Georgia, Oregon. We're ready to announce one in 23 and one in 25, and working on a second game in 23 and 25. And in 24, we've got Georgia versus Clemson. So for us, at least through 2025, the kickoff game business is Chick-fil-A kickoff game business is in great shape. Good. Good. Let's go back more micro now related to this year. You mentioned if it ends up being a conference plus one, then Florida State comes off your radar in Georgia because they play their rivals. But but what about if if there is a delay to the season? Are you modeling would would this game if it if if you're in a conference plus two and you can still play it, does it go at the end of the season? Does it go when the Falcons aren't at home? Is it, it is it? Do you work with the conference and look at their schedule? Where might it go? Yeah, we've met with Mercedes Benz, who's a good partner, and we have assurances that we'll have flexibility dates to meet the demands. Not in kickoff games should the season change. Uh, when the kickoff starts, maybe October or whatever, but also for our bowl game, if we needed to move the bowl game back and later in January. So that's number one. Number two is we're flexible enough to play at the beginning of the season in September. If they move back to October, if they play the uh, power five kickoff game at the end of the season, because they want to play their conference games to make sure they get those in. So we're flexible. You know, we don't know whether the conference is going to push back to September, I mean to October, or if they're going to kick the championship game back two weeks to give them a little bit more flexibility should they need to cancel a game or reschedule a game at the end of the season. But what we've told the commissioners and the ADs in the, in the six schools that we have in our Chick-fil-A kickoff games is, we're flexible and we'll play any, any time that uh, you need us to play. Gary, we appreciate uh, your insight. I know you've been making the rounds. You're, you're tired of answering some of these questions. You want, uh, you want something definitive like we all do. I just have one, I have one request. Well, I just want to talk college football games. I want to talk West Virginia, Florida State. I want to talk Virginia, Georgia, and North Carolina, Auburn. We all do. We want to talk X's and O's. We don't want to talk about 
positivity rates and all that. Trust me. Exactly. I, I was just going to say, even if we have a delay, but certainly if the game doesn't get played, can you just send some Chick-fil-A to the media that was scheduled to attend the game? That's the favor we need here. Well, when I see you and Keith on September 5th in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I will give you a Chick-fil-A uh, card for a Chick-fil-A sandwich. See that, Keith? It's from the rule. You don't get what you don't ask for. So I just Well, that being the case, I, I want some coupons for the 370 draft beer drafts that are in that stadium. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed Gary, it. Stay safe and healthy, and everybody wear your masks. All righty. Be good, Gary. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. All right. Bye-bye. Gary Stoken from the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. We'll take a break, come back, and react to that. Front Row Knowles continues after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you, and we will uh, crank open the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once more, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? We're doing great. We're one week closer to something. Not, not knowing anything. Yes, yes. We have confirmed <laughs> that we know as little today as we did last week. Though that was an enjoyable conversation that Keith and I just had with Gary Stoken from the Chick-fil-A Bowl. And I can only imagine, just as all of us are looking for certainty in our lives and not getting it, the whiteboard in his office – it must be down to size six font with all the contingencies that he's looking at. He wants to play games. He wants to make money. We want to play games. But, Bob, as we sit here right now, I feel like we're just holding our breath, waiting for whatever announcement is going to come sometime next week or sometime by the end of July, which would be next week. Yeah, he's got the six-point type, just like the Phil Steele annual magazine. I mean, it's, it's, it's tiny, tiny data with a lot of contingencies. You know, when we talked to him, he said even the contingencies he has have contingencies. And I think that just goes to tell you that he's thought everything through. But really, there's very, very little you can do until, you know, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 make a decision on how they want to handle the scheduling, if they want to go conference only, or, you know, some model that does include some non-conference games. And, of course, I think all of us have our fingers crossed that Florida State will figure out a way to play Florida. and and hopefully still play West Virginia too. You know, one of the things that I think has happened, and I'll give Gary credit for it, is we have at least begun the conversation of conference plus one, conference plus two, which was not of anything we were discussing, let's say, two weeks ago. And uh, certainly those preseason games, I think, have uh, prompted that thought process as well as the rivalry games. I agree, and I think we've, we've talked about this a lot in the last, what, four months, flexibility and creativity. I don't have a strong preference where these games land on the schedule. For example, Florida and West Virginia, who knows when they'll be played. I think they're the kinds of games that fans want to see, to a lesser extent, West Virginia. Although I, I would underscore that's a big payment game depending on how many people you can fit in the stands. But in the case of Florida – that could be 
a September game. It could be an October, November, December game. It needs to be on the schedule somewhere, somehow. Um, we, we need to make sure that happens. I think for the players and the fans, that's, that's critical. A component we haven't talked about with this, with the Big Ten and Pac-12 saying they're only going to play conference games, if the other three Power Five do play non-conference games, I would think, and this is where the space we've been in anyway, that it sets the SEC up to have two playoff contenders in a four-team playoff better than – I mean, if you have Ohio State and somebody else that's got a nice record in the Big Ten and hasn't tested anybody, played anybody else – it's going to default to whoever wins the SEC and also that other team that has one loss, but it was to Clemson or, or whatever. So uh, to me, that's the reason that we're, we're seeing a dichotomy here in approach. Uh, and it could be the ACC, though it's harder to make the case that there's going to be another team at that level besides Clemson. Would you agree with that, Bob? Yeah, I, I would argue this is the, this is the year, if anything, that you – can you try an eight-team playoff this year just because? I mean, maybe you can't. Maybe there's no way to do it. I'm not in favor of, you know, seeing two or three teams from the SEC, for example, or Ohio State makes a run. I think conference champions do deserve a seat at the table. Again, you've always had potentially five spots plus Notre Dame for four spots. There aren't enough seats at the table to begin with. It's been kind of a crummy system i think everybody kind of feels that and agrees to it i think we're dealing with situations and solutions that we can live with they're not going to be great you know to your point does anybody want to see two or three sec teams in the playoff i think a lot of sec fans might say yeah that's exactly what we want to see but that's not (laughs) what what might be equitable for the rest of college football well no the point i'm making though is is simply that if you've tested and, and gary just made it in our last segment In in 2017, Alabama beat FSU, didn't win the SEC, but made the playoff by virtue of playing an FSU team that was well thought of. So Clemson's opponents or others would get that and the Big Ten wouldn't. For all the changes that could be coming for college athletics, I think we're still going to have a committee that sits around a table and has a beauty contest. I don't think we're going to get to – we're definitely taking the conference champs. Uh, Even if they expanded eight teams this year, Bob, I think they'd – and the committee in the face of this pandemic has still said they're going to meet in person instead of Zoom. So go figure that one in Dallas. I I think they still want to put their their thumbprints all over that, though, and and handpick. One other thing that we haven't thought about, though, between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, if everybody else goes plus one or plus two, it would not surprise me if they go back and revisit their position so they don't get left out. Well, and I think that is – that's the turf battle between the Power Five conferences and most specifically the Big Ten and the SEC as to who's going to steer the ship. The Big Ten steered it this way, and now if the, the SEC goes this way and all of a sudden you're getting more TV revenue on top of it and more revenue because you're playing more games, maybe they have to reevaluate. I don't know. Why don't we talk about something we do know, Bob? Leonard Hamilton can recruit because – No question. Uh, all his, his middle name is now like five-star ham, I think. I mean, every time you turn around, and I know depends on who you follow, whether he's a four-star or a five-star, he, he's on the short list of top players in the country, and he's coming to FSU. So what can you tell us about Matt Cleveland? You know, he sounds like the prototypical Florida State basketball player, the, the long athletic guy, the six-six guard who can do a little bit of everything from, you know, going to the rim, jump shooter, 
rebounder, uh, good assist guy, steals defense. You know, just talking with his coach the other day, he sounds a lot like that high character gym rat that, you know, Charlton Young and Leonard Hamilton, Stan Jones, and those guys have talked about grabbing for years. I, I think this is a, a great pickup. It, it seems like a guy who's really self-motivated too. I think one of the best anecdotes that I've heard so far is, you know, he was a guy who knew that his his jump shooting, his three-point shooting wasn't on, and he had to really focus on that. And he developed into a 47% three-point shooter last year as a junior. So that's a guy who knows his weaknesses and is willing to spend time in the gym and refine those. So, you know, going to a senior season, I think he's he's really trending in the right direction as far as what he can become as a basketball player. You know, watching his film, I saw a little bit of Patrick Williams, honestly, that athleticism, that guy who could go up to the rim and, and could really grab rebounds and, and put backs. And so there's, there's a, really a lot to like there. You're not going to see him on campus for another year, but it's continuing what's been just an amazing, you know, recruiting trend, I think, for this Florida State basketball program. You mentioned Patrick. Uh, the guy that jumped out at me is Devin Vassell because uh, Cleveland is a little slender. I mean, Pat, Patrick is a grown man. He is, he is a grown man. Vassell, a little slender, uh, much like Jonathan Isaac, shorter, of course. Cleveland, a little slender, but has all of the uh, on-the-court attributes and, as you've described, many of the off-the-court that you're also looking for. Yeah, if you're, if you're kind of creating a player in the lab, so to speak, and you're kind of putting all those – pieces together that Leonard Hamilton really wants. I, I think this is the type of guy. And, and honestly, I think so is Scotty Barnes is coming in, you know, this, this fall is on campus right now. So I, I think, you know, they're, they're identifying the guy who can do everything they want, but is also unselfish and has that character that he's a team first guy. And, and I think that's, that's what Forest State's looking at. And they're getting those guys. They're, they're winning the battles against the blue bloods. And I think that's, that's what's kind of fueling this, this new blood persona that, that Leonard Hamilton has encouraged his players to take on. Tom, we don't have a script, but I'm going to go off script. Did I read correctly? No high school football in California this fall? I think that might have happened. Yeah, and honestly, what's guys. What's that going to do to recruiting? It's a real challenge. Um, and I, I've tried to keep up with this a little bit. Georgia is going to push football start back two weeks. Florida had a, a five-hour meeting on Monday night that was lacking in any real consensus. And, and I'll save you save you a lot of time there. It really comes down to some cities cannot start football. And as you can imagine, that's that's South Florida, a lot of big cities in um, in the Tampa, St. Pete area, Orlando as well, and a lot of smaller cities in the Panhandle can play and want to play so as far as recruiting it's a good question i'm not sure we're going to see recruits on campus this fall at florida state or a lot of schools around the country will the ncaa make that a mandate that there are no official visits now, maybe you can unofficially drive through tallahassee drive through gainesville anywhere else you, nothing that says you can't drive around campus look at the buildings see the the view of it from your car. That's not the way you want to attract recruits, but it may be where we go with recruiting. Um, and the other question too is coaches can't leave campus then to go 
to a high school football game potentially to evaluate players? Are you going to miss those potential late blooming seniors or even juniors as you're looking down in future years? How do you evaluate guys? Are you going to lean on, you know, watching their their highlights on well, it's not film anymore, but you know, whatever <laughs> format it is, you know what I'm saying? It's it's not the way you want to recruit, but it may just be the way it has to be. You lean on the relationships you have. And in the case of FSU's coaching staff, a lot of those relationships are outside the state of Florida because they haven't been able to cultivate relationships with the coaches in Florida. We've talked about this with Pat, Bob, but there's a much higher number of kids who have verbally committed right now than normally is the case uh, at this time of year. So ultimately you may just have to hold firm and take those kids and you just don't have any other, you have no other data points to evaluate because there's no other tape. You can't go out and see them. They can't come see you. It's bizarre space like everything else in our world right now. Isn't there a reality show on one of the networks that, uh, what is it? Married at first sight. (laughs) (laughs) And, And, you know, this is interesting. I was talking with, you know, I know this is a football conversation, but with Matthew Cleveland talking with his high school coach, he made an unofficial visit and never got a chance to make an official visit before COVID shut everything down. So he was able to make, you know, Zoom chats work with coaches and, and Zoom, you know, coaches showing them around campus through through video. So I think that's what coaches have to do right now. But you know, recruiting right now is, is a complete mess in that you are seeing guys, I think, commit so that they feel like a coach is holding a spot for you. But then what happens? Are we still going to have an early signing period in December? It it feels like we are, and I think a lot of the coaches want it so that they can lock in guys. But these are guys who are going to sign on the bottom line, potentially never having set foot inside, for example, the Moore Athletic Center to see certain facilities. And that's going to happen all around the country. To me, that's really messy. And I know other recruiting analysts have just said, this is going to be a year of decommitments. We are going to see so many guys back off those pledges. And truly, it does remain to be seen how that plays out. But this this is definitely going to be one of the wildest recruiting years we've ever seen. We're talking with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Go online to theosceola.com. Encourage you to subscribe. Stay in touch with Florida State. Well, I can guarantee we'll have an early – signing period if the season gets pushed to the spring and all of a sudden everybody who's getting ready for the NFL is no longer going to play in the same way that an early enrollee participates in spring practice the coaches are going to want to say hey we've got to replenish the cupboard here and I got to get these kids in so that they can play if we're playing games in January or February and Keith your your reaction is saying they're not ready because they're still high school kids but the alternative is that you're playing with 58 guys on your roster and walk-ons if you don't let them play. And that's an issue. The other issue is that in calendar year 2021, you're going to end up playing 30 games or 28 games. And what's that going to do to an 18 to 20 year old's body? Well, I think they'd have to adjust the fall. If we end up in the spring, they'd have to, maybe it's eight games in the spring and maybe it's 10 games next year. And maybe it starts later. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. That said, I don't think that's where we're going immediately. My personal take on what's going to happen next week, no intel and who knows, and this I'm sure has been discussed and it'll be changed 412 times between now and whenever they announce it. I think they're going to announce a delay in the start of the season 
and then the parameters of what they're planning to play, which I think will be eight, either eight plus two in the case, of the I think 10 games, eight plus two for the ACC uh, and the SEC. I guess that'd be nine plus one for the, the Big 12. Uh, but then we'll just see what happens. That's not a guarantee that we'll actually start when they're saying we're starting. I just don't think they're going to wave the white flag completely and say we're kicking it till January right now. I just don't think they're going to go there yet. I agree with what you're saying. I think the other thing to watch, you know, beyond player, coach, and support staff safety is how many fans can you safely welcome to Tallahassee and other college campuses to watch games? Is it safe to stay at a hotel, eat in a restaurant, et cetera? You can eliminate tailgating, which I think is really unfortunate because that's part of the game day experience for fans. But then how many fans can you truly welcome inside a stadium? Um, you know, the Jaguars are going to 25%. The Dolphins put out a proposal of, of roughly 25%. Reading the tea leaves, it feels like people are saying the number that we're comfortable with is roughly 25%. And I think Gary Stoken even mentioned in, in their case, they've modeled 25, 30, and 50, just as, as three models to put out there. So a big question is financially, you know, how do you do this to still bring in enough revenue to keep football, basketball, all the Olympic sports going through the fiscal year. <laughs> this is, this is where we, we start looking at the numbers and, and really figuring out, you know, how do we do this? How do we do it safely? And are we bringing in enough money to, to make it make sense of everything financially? The other part that I found fascinating because it's where I gravitate towards as Gary mentioned, you know, programming the software so that you can allocate the seats. So if, if Keith's bringing six people and Tom's bringing four and you're bringing two, they can still arrange the software where the six can sit together, the four can sit together, the two can sit together, but with appropriate distancing between them, <laughs> which then goes to Jerry's point about it was really in foresightful, if that's the right word, to go to the digital tickets because I might be sitting on row 47 in section J for the first game and I might be in row 23 section F in the second game because of the way the software puts it together. That's also going to be interesting. It's a huge time saver in the end. You know, Forest State made that decision in the offseason. You know, Chick-fil-A Bowls had that capability, I think Gary said, for about a year or so. So it does give you some flexibility, buys you a little bit of time so you can make adjustments. But I think the the buy time standpoint, we're, we're running out of time. No question. And, and, and we're getting down to that point where we really have to make a decision. You're going to try and play a game on September 5th or make the decision to push things back another two, three weeks, whatnot. I, I think you really have to start looking at that decision. We thought July 15 all along was the number, was the date that a lot of the conference commissioners were saying to the media. And now that's, of course, come and gone. And, and now we're thinking it's before August 1st. But at some point, we need to stop pushing this back and make a decision, stick with it, plan forward, and, and hope that we can actually play games this fall. And not to belabor the point, but one last thing. You might be at 25% capacity the first two games, and then you can go to 50%. So you've got to be able to change once the season starts potentially as well. And for Florida State, that's advantageous, for example, because Samford is your only September home game. So you, you might take a, a hit financially on only having a small crowd for that game. 
But then in October and November, you can play games with a bigger percentage of fans or say the season starts a little bit later. It's the same scenario. So Florida State being on the road and at a neutral site early can help them. Where in, in the past, some of us remember we had those three home games in a row and everybody was baking in the stands and unhappy. Well, now the schedule might in four states, it might play out in four states' favor. I'm so sick and tired of talking about these scenarios. Let's just get some finality or some sort of plan. Understanding we're sick, we're sick and tired of just hearing you talk. Well, that's no different than our listenership. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I, I, this, this is sort of old news, Bob, but as we wrap up, all this talk about 25%. I feel like it kind of got glossed over that Mike Norvell took a 25% pay cut. And I know Coach Hamilton and Coach Semrau did too, and it was part of the announcement and the budget cuts from David Coburn. But that's as big a cut as any coach period has taken across the country, is it not? Yeah, I haven't heard of anything that quite that big. And if you are curious what coaches nationally have taken as a cut, you know, ESPN.com did a really nice story you know, talking with all the power five schools and some of the basketball powers. And they said, you know, so-and-so has taken a big cut. So-and-so has not taken a big cut. But when you look at what's happened at Florida state, I think David Coburn said it best. He was kind of fearing these discussions with his head coaches. And in the end, he was pleasantly surprised that, that every coach was really willing to take a considerable cut. And as you mentioned in, in Norvell's case, it's really significant. And when you have to cut $21 million, potentially out of an operating budget for the state for, for Mike Norvell to do what he did, I think is, is quite admirable. Well said, Bob, we appreciate your insight as always next week. Uh, we'll tune in once more for the latest edition of when is the season going to start right here on front row Knowles. Thanks, Bob. Take care. We'll come back and put the wraps on this week's show in just a moment. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles as we finish things up. Thanks to Bob Fronte, as always. And Gary Stoken. Keith, anything in particular resonate from those two conversations that we should double back on? Well, and we've kind of alluded to it, but, you know, Stoken and his people are true entrepreneurs. They are trying every way under the sun to find a way for at least two and possibly all three of their preseason games to be played. And this is going to sound uh, as, a, as a jab, and, and it is, but then when you start dealing with universities and you start dealing with states and you start dealing with the NCAA, you're dealing with bureaucracy. And bureaucracy, by definition, is not creative, is not capable of making midterm adjustments easily. And if nothing else, even if they don't play them, it's at least refreshing to hear the Garys of the world talk about, well, we'll, we'll explore this, we'll explore that, we'll explore the other, because you're not hearing a lot of that from anybody else. 
he was pretty candid too. He's yep. been in business 42 years and he's not found a way to make it work if the revenue is not greater than the expenses. So there is a point at which the game does not make sense to be played in Atlanta. And I'm sure I have annoyed at least one, if not more, of our listeners by my reference to the fact that, congratulations, Gary, you have never worked for government. <laughs> oh, and of course, uh, Bob and the Osceola, they continue to churn out uh, good work, but it's tough. We're, we're four months without college sports, Keith. At least we have baseball coming back. The NBA's bubble seems to be working. The NFL maybe is getting more on the same page. Um, because, and this is echoing sentiments that we've shared week after week, it's still pretty hollow when I'm walking around my house in the evening and I don't have a game of some sort on in the background, even if it's a game I really don't care about. I mean, I'm not a big you know, hockey guy, but if there's nothing else on, there'd be a hockey game up there. Yeah, and you've got some Major League Baseball exhibition games being played. I think they start their season officially on Friday. You know, one of the things that's, that's interesting about all this is obviously the collegiate folk have been looking at the professional uh, teams. And I'm not sure, I'd, I'd be interested in your reaction to this. I'm not sure that we'll learn anything positive or new if the professional teams are successful. But I can almost assure you if one of them fails, that will doom college athletics in the fall. Does that make sense? It certainly makes sense because they're taking so many more precautions than what you could do at the college level just by the nature of it. They're paid. You can have a bubble and you have money that you can spend to make sure that they don't leave the bubble. College athletics, we're on the other side of that coin saying you only get 20 hours a week. You have to let them be students on the other side. So you're not policing where they go at night, who they're with, if they're wearing masks, if they're social distancing. So there's, there's really not a bubble. I mean, honestly, I think you can make the case that you're doing about as much as you can when they're in the weight room and when they're having whatever meetings they can have, they're meeting via Zoom, they're doing that part. But once you, once you clock out, which is a bad expression, university athletic departments wouldn't like me to use that term, but once they're done for the day, they're on their own. And they're 18 to 22-year-olds. They're not 22 to 34-year-olds. And uh, that makes a big difference as well. Yeah, so next week we'll get this announcement. Uh, I will say, I, it, it, to me, it, it, it is, uh, we talked about this with Bob a little bit. It's, it's sort of the, uh, the game within the game has become the power struggle of the SEC versus the Big Ten. And the Big Ten's got the Pac-12 in its corner. We'll call that Team Rose Bowl. At some point, they can just break off and go play their Rose Bowl game again. But then the SEC realized that as dominant and as great as they think they are, they still need somebody else so they can beat and exert their supremacy. So they've got the ACC and the Big 12 in the boat with them right now. We've just got this power struggle going on. Uh, I, I think you're right. I, I think if the SEC, ACC, Big 12 announce an 8 plus 2 and a 9 plus 1, maybe the Big 10 and the Pac-12 come back yeah. and say, after further review, we're going to have a Big 10 Pac-12 challenge. And we'll be right back to the review process that Mr. Block hates. Even you would tolerate it if we could at least play games this year. That would be a welcome relief. <laughs> I could really go for a five-and-a-half-minute replay review right now for something that could have been solved in 12 seconds because that would be better than not having anything to review at all, which is the state we're currently in. I concur. And by the way, let's have some more targeting calls. <laughs> Keith, we're out of time. 
I don't want to get you queued up on targeting. Our listeners have heard us go down that road before. We'll do this again next week. Maybe we'll have news. Maybe we won't. Either way, we'll be here. Till then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control.